sit down for the message this morning. So inflation has been hard on all of us, and uh, so what we decided to do here at church is we decided that we're only going to provide communion for the first 150 people who come, so you're going to want to get here early from now on. If you're going to come late, you're going to need to bring your own communion. Just kidding, we just ran out this morning. So you can, uh, you can take your communion at lunch and it'll be blessed, I promise. Uh, so we have 6,000 years that humans existed on earth without anyone running a recorded four-minute mile. Everyone believed it was impossible to run a four-minute mile. In fact, doctors used to say if a human found a way to run a four-minute mile, their heart would explode. Everyone believed it was impossible, except for a young man named Roger Bannister. Rogers Bannister was the first man to run a four-minute mile. He did it on May 6, 1954. So we have 6,000 years where humanity believes it's impossible to run a four-minute mile, and not one person does it. In, in May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister does it. He believes it's possible. He's the first person to do it. Since then, over 1,400 athletes have run a four-minute mile. We've had athletes run a four-minute mile who weren't even runners. We've had athletes in high school run four-minute miles. What you believe is so much more powerful than you realize. So much more powerful than you realize. Uh, Ramsey Solutions, which is Dave Ramsey's organization, did the largest study of millionaires that's ever been done. They interviewed 10,000 millionaires, and the data was shockingly consistent. They asked them a ton of questions. I'm just going to share with you two of the questions that they asked. One of the questions was, they asked, did you believe it was possible for you to become a millionaire? 98% said they believed it was possible for them to become a millionaire. They asked them a multiple choice question that had four answers. It said, how would you define yourself? Extremely pessimistic, pessimistic, optimistic or extremely optimistic and then it defined each of those terms of the 10,000 millionaires not one considered themselves extremely pessimistic there were three that said they considered themselves pessimistic 460 said they considered themselves optimistic and 9,537 said they considered themselves extremely optimistic this group of millionaires said the two biggest factors in them becoming millionaires was first, they believed it was possible, and second, they were extremely optimistic. Grandma said you bring about what you think about. Grandpa said you get what you expect. Pastors taught us about self-fulfilling prophecy. The world of counseling taught us about self-limiting beliefs. Life coaches taught us about positive affirmations. Brain scientists are learning about something called the reticular activating system, and we're going to learn about that this morning. And all of that adds together to tell us that the Bible was right all along when Solomon said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think and what you believe might be the most important thing in your life. This morning we're starting a series on relationships. The title of my message this morning is The Mind and marriage. And I would like to talk to you about what I believe is probably the biggest tool for building your marriage or the biggest weapon for destroying your marriage. Your mind is quite possibly the single most powerful indicator of the success or failure of your relationships. I'm going to talk about marriage a lot today, but these principles would apply to 
really any relationship. If you want to have a better relationship with your roommate or your boss or your parents or your kids, you could apply the stuff that we're going to talk about today to all of those relationships. If you're married, raise your hand and show me how many married people. Wow, a lot of people are married. All right. So I heard this joke about marriage. No one teaches a volcano how to erupt. No one teaches rain how to pour. No one teaches a blizzard how to bear down on western New York. No one teaches a tsunami how to attack. And no one teaches a hurricane how to destroy. And no one teaches a man and a woman how to find a spouse. Natural disasters just happen. (laughs) Now, obviously, we don't want our relationships to be a disaster. And if we don't want our relationships to be a disaster, we have to start liking the people we're trying to relate to. Being happy in your relationships is a lot less about getting what you like and a lot more about learning to like what you get. And I've got to tell you, there's so much to like in people. I know the world around us tells us that there's not a whole lot to like in each other, but I know you guys pretty well, and I know there's so much to like in each other. If you have a great marriage, your mind is a huge part of the reason why. If your marriage is, is awful, your mind is also a huge part of the reason why. And every one of you that raised your hands and said you're married, you fall somewhere on that spectrum of your marriage being awesome or awful. And I'm here to tell you today, the main reason why your marriage is, wherever it is on that spectrum, is because of your mind. The Bible is God's word to us. Last week I joked about finding a mistake in the Bible, but the truth is I've never found a mistake in the Bible because there are no mistakes in the Bible. God is perfect and his word is perfect. And that's really important because our culture is rapidly changing. And our culture will try and feed us various things, various things about marriage and various things about life. And if we're not careful, we can adopt a mindset and a lifestyle that's different than what God has called us to in his word. Something that's always fun for me is when scientists discover something that God's word has said for thousands of years. It's always interesting to me that scientists and generations after generations of researchers can study these things and come to this conclusion that God said thousands of years ago and it just took us thousands of years to understand it and to accept it. I would like to teach you this morning about a part of your body that probably most of you didn't know existed, Or if you knew it existed, you didn't know what it was called, and you probably didn't know how it worked. I'd like to talk to you about your reticular activating system. We'll call it a RAS for short. Your RAS is the filter that you use to see life through. Scientists have found that through our five senses, we are taking in 11 million bits of information every second. And just the thought of that is like kind of overwhelming, right? And the reason it's overwhelming is because your mind cannot process 11 million bits of information per second. Your mind maximum can process 50 to 100 bits of information. So how does this work? How does this work in our our mind? You're driving down the road and it's a nice spring day, and I'm prophesying that because it is coming. A nice spring day is coming. I know it doesn't feel like it now, but it'll happen. It's a nice spring day, spring is in the air, you can smell that fresh smell and you're driving down the road and you see a beautiful sunrise and you see people out walking on the sidewalk and you see cars and you see the sky and you see all these things and you smell a diesel truck drive by and all these things that you're taking in and out of the corner of your eye, 
you see a purple kickball rolling very fast towards the street. And then you see a little girl chasing that kickball. And in that second, your reticular activating system looks at all those 11 million things that your mind is taking in, everything that is coming at you, and it says the thing that's important right now, the thing that you need to give your attention to, the thing you need to give your focus to, is that ball and that girl. Because if you don't, you're going to run her over, and that's going to be bad. So you focus on that thing. Or you're driving down the road, and you're taking in all these things, you're seeing all these things, smelling all these things, hearing all these things, and then all of a sudden you see flashing lights and you hear a siren. And your RAS filters all the things that you're experiencing. It says, this is the thing we need to focus on. This is the thing we need to give our attention to. Or maybe you're at Darien Lake with your family and there's the vipers coming down over here and you got this twirly ride over here and you smell cotton candy and you smell pizza and you see the beautiful uh, sunrise in front of you. All these things you're taking in. And then all of a sudden you hear your child say, Mom, and your child is scared. And out of all the voices you're hearing, out of the thousands of people around you, everything going on, you can pick out that one thing and say, that's the thing I need to focus on right now. That's the thing that requires my attention. And that is your RAS, your reticular activating system that is filtering all those things that you're experiencing and saying, this is what I need to focus on now. Now what's crazy about your RAS is it's actually programmable. Even if you didn't know you had a RAS until right now, you have a RAS and you have programmed your RAS. My daughter Jillian has a RAS. She doesn't know it, but she has one and she's programmed it. The doctor at the ER has a RAS and has programmed it. And a Navy SEAL has a RAS and has programmed it, even if he doesn't know he has a RAS. So my daughter's out riding her bike and she crashes her bike and she slides on the concrete and she scrapes her knee and she starts bleeding and her RAS says, this is the important thing we need to focus on right now. You're bleeding to death and you're going to die. And she starts screaming and April and I come running out. We think she got hit by a car, but she didn't. She just tipped over her bike. The neighbors are all coming running. They think I had an accident with a chainsaw and cut my leg off. Like it is bad. We get out there and there's just a drip of blood coming off of her knee. But her Raz has learned because she experienced this before. She scraped her knee and it hurt really bad and she saw blood and it was like real bad. So her Raz learned when that happens, we freak out, we cry, we scream, we yell mom and we hope that we're going to make it. The ER doctor, when he falls off of his bike and he scrapes his knee, he's trained his RAS a little bit differently. He's programmed his RAS a little bit differently. He scrapes his knee, it hurts, he sees the blood, but he looks at it and goes, I'm not going to bleed out, I'll be okay. And he goes home and wipes off his knee. Then we have the Navy SEAL, and the Navy SEAL, thank you. The Navy SEAL has trained his RAS a little bit differently. He jumps out of a helicopter, lands on a ground, compound fracture, and he looks around for some duct tape to tape up his leg to go finish his mission that he's on because his RAS has been trained differently. So your RAS is the filter that you process life through. All the information you're experiencing, all of your relationships, everything is coming through your RAS. Sometimes our RAS can get stuck in in a fight-or-flight mode, and we process everything we experience through that fight-or-flight, and we kind of go like, okay, I either need to fight in this situation or I need to flee. We can get stuck in that place. Sometimes people can get stuck in a panic mode, and they kind of experience everything in life from a place of panic. Sometimes people get stuck in a trauma mode, and they filter life with that trauma that they've experienced, and everything turns into a trauma in their life. 
but your RAS is, re is reprogrammable. Now, you have your RAS, and then immediately following your RAS is your thinker and your prover. Your thinker and your prover. So like the thought process goes um, RAS, thinker, and then prover. And these three components together build your mindset. So maybe you've heard people talk about your mindset or your outlook before. These three components build your mindset. So your, your RAS filters life and kind of brings you these experiences, and you can reprogram that. Your thinker introduces ideas, and then your prover is like a lawyer hopped up on coffee, way too much caffeine, staying up late, getting up early, proving what your thinker thinks. Your prover proves what your thinker thinks. Just to give you a simple example of how this works in your life, let's say that my daughter, Natalie, has a negative RAS. She has a negative filter. She's had some experiences in her life that were difficult, and kind of the outcome of that, she has this negative filter. And let's say Natalie's teacher's name is Mrs. Warsaw. So Natalie is uh, Natalie's at school, and her teacher's kind of late to her first period class, and the kids are just going nuts. There's like two boys in the back throwing a football, another two guys playing dodgeball. Girls are doing TikToks. These kids are laughing. Like, it's just total chaos in the classroom. A teacher walks in, and she's mad that everyone's not sitting properly, waiting for class to start. And she says, everyone sit down and be quiet now. And Natalie pulls that experience through her negative RAS, through her bad filter that she's created. And she hears that, and her thinker says, Mrs. Warsaw doesn't like me because I'm a bad student. Maybe somebody told her she was a bad student before. She pulls it through the filter. Her thinker says, uh, Mrs. Warsaw doesn't like me because I'm a bad student. Now the prover goes into hyper-lawyer mode, compiling evidence and building a case to prove what the thinker thinks. So the prover goes into hyper-mode and says, we're going to find all the evidence, all the data that we can to prove that Mrs. Warsaw doesn't like Natalie because Natalie's a bad student. So Natalie walks down the hall a little bit later that day, and she doesn't say anything to Mrs. Warsaw because why would she talk to a teacher that doesn't like her? She just kind of puts her head down, walks by Mrs. Warsaw. Mrs. Warsaw doesn't say hi to her. And Natalie walks by and her prover goes, teacher didn't even like me, teacher didn't say hi to me, she doesn't like me because I'm a bad student. Later that day, Natalie's walking across the crosswalk with a group of friends. And Mrs. Warsaw is speeding through the school zone. And the crossing guard jumps out and puts her hand up. And Mrs. Warsaw locks up her brakes and comes screeching to a halt. And Natalie's prover says, Mrs. Warsaw would have run me over and killed me because she doesn't like me because I'm a bad student. Natalie goes home and kind of meditates on this. Mrs. Warsaw doesn't like me because I'm a bad student. The next day she goes to school, doesn't really talk to Mrs. Warsaw very much and kind of starts to interpret more things to um, confirm this, this thought that she's a bad student and Mrs. Warsaw doesn't like her. Natalie's having a hard time learning because she's trying to learn from a teacher who she believes doesn't like her because she's a bad student. She's having trouble processing the information she's learning. Natalie takes a test and she fails on Friday. And the prover says to Natalie, you failed because Mrs. Warsaw doesn't like you because you're a bad student. Natalie starts to struggle in middle school. Eventually she struggles in high school. Then she isn't able to play the sports that she loves and high school isn't very fun for her. Then she tries to go to college, and she has a hard time getting in college, and then maybe ends up not even getting a job that she wants and has a hard time getting a job that's going to pay her well. You can see how the RAS, the thinker, and the prover can work together to really, really shape what someone's life ends up looking like. 
So let's, let's rewind that and let's give Natalie a positive razz in that story. So Natalie's been spending time with Jesus. She's been submitting herself to the Holy Spirit. She's been building a positive razz. Jesus has been renewing her mind daily. She comes into class, everyone's going crazy, girls doing TikTok, guys doing dodgeball, football in the back. Teacher comes in, says, everyone sit down and be quiet. Natalie pulls that through her filter, through her RAS, through her reticular activating system, and she says, wow, that was kind of out of character for Mrs. Warsaw. It seems like something's up. I wonder if she's okay. And she prays for her. Later that day, she's walking down the hall. She sees Mrs. Warsaw coming to her. She puts a smile on her face, and she says, hi, Mrs. Warsaw. And Mrs. Warsaw smiles and looks back at her and says, hi, but the smile looked really fake. And Natalie pulls that experience through her RAS, and it says, Mrs. Warsaw is usually pretty smiley, but she wasn't right now. I think something's up with Mrs. Warsaw. Natalie goes and walks through the, cross, the uh, crosswalk, and Mrs. Warsaw is speeding through, the <clears throat> speeding through the school zone. The crossing guard puts her hand up. Uh, she locks up her brakes. She comes to a screeching halt. <clears throat> Sorry. And Natalie sees that, and she looks at the car, and she sees it's Mrs. Warsaw, and she says, Mrs. Warsaw doesn't usually speed through the school zone. Something's definitely up with Mrs. Warsaw. I wonder if she's okay. That night she lays in bed and she prays and she says, God, I don't know what's going on with Mrs. Warsaw, but I just ask you to be with her and I ask you to minister and help her. It seems like something's up with her. The next day, Natalie goes to school. She gets to class early. She sees Mrs. Warsaw. None of the other students are there yet. She walks up to her and she says, hey, Mrs. Warsaw, I just wondered how you're doing. It seems like something's been going on with you. Are you Okay. Mrs. Warsaw says, actually, Natalie, I'm not okay. I've had a horrible week, the worst week ever. My mom passed away. Natalie says, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Warsaw. I had no idea that happened. Can I pray for you? Natalie prays for her, and Mrs. Warsaw says, thank you. That's exactly what I needed. Natalie looks at Mrs. Warsaw and doesn't think anything bad about her, hasn't had any negative experiences with her. She can learn the information she's trying to learn in school. She takes her test. She does fine. She actually finds out she's a pretty gifted student, and she can process the information that they're teaching her very well. She ends up getting a scholarship to go to college. She ends up getting the job that she wants. And we can see how our uh, reticula reticulating active, no, reticular activating system and our thinker and our prover can dramatically change what our life looks like. And I got to tell you something that you might not believe, but I promise you it's true. You are literally doing this in your life hundreds and thousands of times a day. You're taking the information that you're seeing, you're experiencing your life, those 11 million bits of information, and if you have a positive filter or a negative filter, you're seeing totally different things and then living out of that experience. And it can in it shape your life in an incredible way. It's the result of a renewed mind or an old mindset. This is how your RAS thinker and prover shape almost every experience in your life. We're going to talk a lot about this in relationship to marriage in a little bit, but I just want you to listen to a few scriptures about the mind with this understanding of the RAS, the thinker, and the prover. It's not new information to God that you have a RAS, a thinker, and a prover. God made you that way, as it turns out, but it's new information to us. But I want you to listen to these scriptures about your mind with that understanding. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove 
what God's will is and his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with another, have the same mindset or your raz, thinker, and prover as Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Is it possible to be a person who stays in perfect peace if you have a negative raz, if you have a bad filter to process life through? I don't think it is. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I can promise you right now that in your life, your thinker is going to tell you some crazy stuff. Your, your thinker is going to tell you some stuff about the people around you that is so not true. Your thinker is going to tell you all kinds of nonsense that is horribly false, but your prover will still prove it to be true if you let it. That thought has to be taken captive or the road that it will take you down is a scary place. Colossians 3.2 Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Because if you think about those things, your prover will prove those things to be true. But if you think about negative things, your prover will also prove those things to be true. I give you the example of Natalie and Mrs. Warsaw and how dramatic of a difference it could make in Natalie's life if she has a positive filter, a positive RAS, or a negative filter. If that's true about Natalie and a teacher who she spends 42 minutes with on, on a daily basis, five days a week, how influential and how big of a deal do you think this could be in your marriage with someone you spend your life with, with someone you're with every day, with someone you care about how they feel about you really, really deeply, someone who you're supposed to have an intimate relationship with? Do you have a raz or a filter that's helping you create a healthy, beautiful, strong marriage or do you have a raz that's weakening your marriage? This is the thing about your marriage. It's either growing or it's dying. And we, we try to fool ourselves to believe that there's a whole lot of space in between that for things just to be okay. And we're okay and things are just all right and everything's fine. Everything is fine. But in reality, that's not really very true. Our marriages are either growing or they're dying. And the main reason for that is our mind. It's our raz. So let me give you a few examples of a RAS and how it works. The RAS, the thinker, and the prover in your marriage. I'm guessing that probably most of us have heard of uh, the five love languages. If you haven't, I'll give you like a super quick crash course. So there's five primary ways that people experience love. And each person has one way that is their primary way that they naturally receive love, and then they have a secondary love language as well. And the reason that's important is because you could be working really, really hard at loving somebody and loving them in a way that they don't naturally receive love and they might not even know you're trying to love them. So uh, let's say um, somebody's natural love language is quality time and your natural love language is physical touch. So you could be trying to touch your spouse, thinking you're doing something loving, but really she just wants time with you. And if you would just spend time with her, you would speak that love language and it would, it would hit the bullseye. 
But we tend to love people in either the way that we experience love ourselves naturally or the way that we've seen someone model love, like our parents or something like that. So you could be working really, really hard, genuinely loving your spouse, trying to love them, and be doing it in the wrong direction and have no idea and be failing miserably. So that's why the five, five love languages is important. So let's say for the sake of our conversation uh, that we have a wife and her love language is quality time. Let's say that the family is really tight financially and so the husband's trying his best to support the family. Maybe the car broke down and the hot water heater went out all in the same week and so the family's like really tight financially. And the husband's at work and his boss says, hey, if you want to work a little bit later on this project, you can. So the husband feels like he's going to do the loving thing for his family to try and provide for his family so he's going to stay late and work overtime. So he texts his wife and he says, hey, I have an opportunity to work late and make some money working overtime, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. She pulls that through her negative RAS, and she says, he'd rather be at work than spend time with me. He'd rather be at work than spend time with me. So that's her thought. Then the prover goes into hyper-lawyer mode, compiling evidence to prove that thought true. And she starts looking at everything in the husband's life, everything that he's doing, and finding that he'd rather be at work than spend time with me. He'd rather do anything than spend time with me. So he finally comes home and he's whooped from working a long day and he heads into the bedroom and he's going to go take a shower and he takes his clothes and he does his best Kobe towards the, the hamper, but he, he's not Kobe. And it, he throws a brick and it lands on the ground and he goes and hops in the shower. He didn't even really notice it, missed the hamper. And she walks in and she goes, I've been cleaning all day. He literally made more work for me because he'd rather see me working than spend time with me. And her prover will literally, that's not true at all. Like he was just shooting a jump shot and he's got no J. Like it's horrible, right? That's not true at all that he's, he's trying to make more work for her. But her prover gives her that piece of evidence. It confirms what she believes. She goes on to the next thing and just continues to compile evidence. And then eventually, you could imagine that the space between this couple could become a mile wide real fast. Because her prover is proof, finding proof in every situation that the husband doesn't even want to spend time with her. He'd rather go do anything than spend time with her. She's been asking him to help do chores around the house, and he doesn't seem to be real responsive to that. And so he sees in the bathroom that the floor is kind of dirty, so he goes in there and starts cleaning the floor, thinking to himself, like, I'm going to wash the floor. My wife will love this. Like, she's been asking me to do chores around the house. I'm doing it. She looks at that, and her prover says, he would literally rather clean the floor than spend time with you. He would rather scrub the floor than spend time with you. So he's doing something that he thinks is loving, but her prover is compiling this negative information to prove to her that he doesn't want to spend time with her because she has a negative RAS. Let's pick on the husband for a minute. Uh, let's say you have something happen with your wife. She does something or says something, and you interpret it as being disrespectful, and that's really painful for you. You feel disrespected and hurt by that. Maybe, maybe let's say you watch your mom disrespect your dad all the time, so it's like it just opened a wound, and like, oh my goodness, she's so disrespectful. This is horrible, right? So what you start doing is you start looking at every situation, and your prover starts trying to prove, is she a disrespectful wife? And starts twist, your prover will literally twist the most ridiculous things to mean that, he, that she's a disrespectful wife. And what you'll do is you'll literally walk through your day looking for the places that your wife didn't love you well. 
looking for the places that your wife failed you, looking for the places that your wife has hurt you, you will drag stuff up from 20 years ago to confirm and add to this data that your wife doesn't respect you. You'll go back to times you were dating where you guys didn't even know each other. Like, didn't even know what you were doing. Like, you knew each other's name and that she looked good. That was like all you knew, right? But you will pull data from that season of your life and say, she's disrespectful. She doesn't respect me. And what you do when you have a negative RAS and then provide that data to your thinker and then your prover starts proving it is you're planting seeds. You're planting seeds in the garden of your marriage. And that seed will grow into fruit. And you will eat that fruit, and it will literally kill your marriage. All right, now let's paint a picture of a positive RAS. Let's say we got a wife here, and she's been spending time with Jesus daily. He's been renewing her mind, renewing her RAS. A positive RAS in the hands of a wife that's submitted to the Holy Spirit looks like a gold miner mining all the good things out of her husband. You will find good stuff in your husband around every corner. He texts you and he says, hey, I'm going to stay late to, to work to try and make some money to pay for these bills. And she looks at that and she goes, man, that's so great. Thank you so much for being willing to sacrifice for our family to do that. I hope our son grows up and is as good of a man as you are. And I hope our daughter marries a man that's as good as you are. Around every corner, she finds something she can be grateful for in her husband. She goes to throw something out in the trash, and she notices that he emptied the trash before he went to work. And she thinks to herself, man, thank you for helping me with the jobs that I don't want to do. That means so much to me. I really appreciate it. And around every corner, all throughout her day, she's compiling data to prove that her husband is a good man. Let's give this husband a positive razz. The husband is cultivating a positive razz, spending time with Jesus, having his mind renewed daily. And he thinks to himself, how did I get so lucky with this woman? I hit it out of the park with her. And his prover goes into hyper-lawyer mode and starts compiling data to say, I hit it out of the park with this woman. Around every corner throughout his day, he finds things in her that he can be grateful for. He finds the good in her. It's not that the bad things aren't still there. There's still bad things that are there. But what his filter does is it says, that's part of the 11 million bits of information that's not helpful for where I'm trying to go. That's not helpful for the marriage that I'm trying to build there. And it filters out the good things. And it says, there's this in my wife, and I really appreciate this about her. He comes home from work. And before, he would have looked around the house, and he would have seen clothes everywhere, and he would have been frustrated. Like, what did you do all day? Like, seriously, what did you do all day? But now he looks and he says, you know what? You've been tackling this clothes project with the kids and you didn't get through all of it today, but you made some serious progress. And I really appreciate you being willing to do that. Thanks for having the heart to take the time to make sure that our kids have clothes that fit them because I would send them out the door naked, like most days, for real. Like, I don't even care. It doesn't even matter. Like, put on something and get out of here. Thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. The husband with a positive RAS is like a gold miner that finds the gold in his wife and uncovers it and pulls it to the surface and is appreciative of it. How many of you have heard, if you think you can, you're right, and if you think you can't, you're right? You guys have heard that before? It's actually shockingly true, and the reason for it is your prover will compile data in whichever direction you tell it to. 
If you say, I can't get this thing done, your prover will come right along and pile up a ton of data to prove to you that you were right. You can't get it done. You can't do it. If you think, I can do it, I can get this done, your prover will come along and compile a bunch of data to prove that you can get it done. When I was at Elam, there was uh, two guys that both got laid off at the same time. They were actually really good friends, and they worked in the same department. And I watched both of their responses to getting laid off. It was unbelievable. One guy acted like the world was over, and he was like, I'm, never, I'm, like, I'm 55 years old. What company is going to hire me and pay me at the, at the amount of money that I was making? Like, I'm old in most people's eyes now. Like, they can hire a young person for half the price that can do a better job and understands this technology better than I do. He's like, he acted like the world was over. The other guy walked out of getting laid off, and he said, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be an adventure. I know I'm going to find that God's going to be faithful. I know God will provide for me. I know God will take care of me. And do you know what happened? One guy found God was faithful. God provided for him. God took care of him. The other one ended up getting a job, making not very much money at all, just barely scraping by, barely able to pay his bills because that's what he expected to get. And that's, what he, that's the thought that he had. And his prover started proving him right. You are always gathering information to prove something. You just have to choose the RAS, the filter, that will filter out the things that are important, and then your prover will prove whatever you tell it to. When you have a positive RAS, it takes the negative things about your spouse and it says, that's part of the 11 million bits of information that is not important to get me where I want to go. When you have a negative RAS, you usually end up picking your spouse apart finding all the faults, finding all of their weaknesses, and compiling data to prove negative things about your spouse. Will your current RAS, prover, and thinker system get you want where you want to go? Or is it disempowering you and taking you further away from the goal? I would imagine that most of you here would say you'd want to have great marriage. You'd want to have an awesome marriage. But is the filter that you have right now going to get you there? Or is it going to get you further away from that goal. I want to encourage you to audit your filters, your RAS, of all your important relationships and figure out, are you picking apart the things in your, in your spouse that you don't like? Most of us have filters that are set up to find the things in our spouse that drive us nuts, to find the things in our spouse that frustrate us or rub us the wrong way, instead of finding the gold in our spouse. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. But if you're looking for a blessing, you'll end up finding that. Second Peter 1.3 says, For his divine power has given us everything necessary for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has given you everything you need. But do you feel like you have everything you need for life? Probably not. Do you feel like you have everything you need to succeed? Probably not. You feel like there's things you're lacking, tools you don't have. Do you feel like you have everything you need to grow and to become who God has made you to be? Probably not. And the reason you don't feel like that is because your RAS is not set up to see those things. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. But you can't see it. God has given you everything you need for life. And until you allow him to renew your mindset, you're not going to see that everything you need is right in front of you. Romans 12 says, 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When Jocelyn and Natalie were younger, we went on a trip to Florida. And it had been a while since we had been down there, and it was, honestly, I think it was this time of year, and it was cold and had been kind of feeling like a long winter, so to go down to Florida was like, it was a nice little time away to be in the sun. So we went down there, and we got down there, and I think we were going to go for ice cream right when we got down there. Like, we got there, unloaded the car, and we're going to go get ice cream with April's parents. It was the evening. And so the girls wanted to ride in Mimi and Poppy's van. So April's mom had a white uh, Dodge Grand Caravan. So they wanted to ride in Mimi and Poppy's van. So I took the car seats out, and I put them in their van. And for everywhere we were going and everything we were doing for that week, they wanted to ride in Mimi and Poppy's van. And Mimi and Poppy's van ended up equaling fun. It equaled cannonballs. It equaled laughing. It equaled jokes. It smelled like sunscreen. It equaled ice cream. It equaled the beach. There was sand everywhere. Like everything about Mimi and Poppy's van equaled fun. So we left and we were headed home and we were only a couple of miles down the road. And the girls looked over and they saw a white Dodge Grand Caravan. They said, Mimi, Poppy. I said, no, that's not Mimi and Poppy. I looked over and I said, it looks to me like that's Carlos or something like that. I don't know. But it's, not, it's not Mimi and Poppy, you know. So we went another couple miles down the road and there's another white van. And Mimi, Poppy, yeah. In their mind, they're going, white van equals fun. Cannonball, splashing, ice cream, let's do it. I look over and I said, nope, that's not Mimi and Poppy. It appears to be Gertrude. I'm not posi- positive, but that's what it looks like to me. The whole way home. Every white van we saw, Mimi, Poppy, and I'm just like, girls, it's not Mimi and Poppy. I know this is shocking information, but white vans are sold to other humans and sold in other states, and like, you know, they're everywhere. White vans are all over the place, but the girls had never trained and programmed their RAS to find white vans before. But they had these experiences with Mimi and Poppy, and it was fun, and they wanted more fun, so they programmed their RAS to say, White vans equal fun, so I need to find me some more white vans. The whole way home, every white van, Mimi, Poppy, no, I told you, it's Carlos, come on. Like, it's not Mimi and Poppy. They had trained their mind to find white vans because it equaled fun, and that's where they wanted to go, was fun. Each one of you have actually probably done this in your life without knowing. You've probably done it when you went car shopping. That's a time where most of us find out that this is a thing. We just don't know what to call it. Maybe you go car, car shopping and you decide, all right, we got a family now, we got a bunch of kids, we need a minivan. So you decide you're going to get a Toyota Sienna. So you buy a Toyota Sienna, you come home, and on the way home, it's like everywhere you look, Toyota Siennas. You go to Tops, it's like every row, Toyota Siennas. Like you can't believe it. It's like, did all the car dealers conspire together to sell only Toyota Siennas for this week? Like, everywhere I look, everywhere is a Toyota Sienna. Now, the thing that's crazy is the Siennas have been there all along. Every day, on your drive, you might even be passing those same Toyota Siennas, but you didn't train your Raz to find them. But once you start car shopping and you start obsessing about Toyota Siennas and start researching and doing all this, all of a sudden you've trained your ass to find Toyota Siennas. Now everywhere you look, you see a Toyota Sienna. In that same way, there's gold in your spouse. You just haven't trained your ass to find it. You've trained your ass to find other stuff. 
You've trained your ass to find stuff that drives you nuts. You've trained your ass to find stuff that's frustrating to you, disappointments, to focus on times where they've hurt you. The gold is in your spouse. You just haven't trained yourself to look for it. And what I want to encourage you to do in this season is to ask the Lord to renew your mind. Ask the Lord to renew your mind towards your spouse so you can see the gold. You can see the good stuff that God planted in your spouse. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, I thank you for each person who's here. And Lord, there was a ton of people who raised their hands and said they were married here this morning. Lord, I ask that it would become the testimony of Family Life Church that we have a room full of people with awesome marriages. Maybe some of us, our marriages aren't there right now. Maybe some of us are frustrated or hurt or discouraged in our marriage. Lord, I ask that you would renew each one of our minds, that you would renew our wraths to begin to see the good in each other, to begin to see the gold in each other, and that we would pull those things out of each other and call those things out of each other, that we would look at their faults and their shortcomings and all those things and say, you know what, that's not part of the information that I need to build this relationship to get it where I want it to go. Lord, I ask you to do a work in the marriages and family life church. Do something powerful in us, God. We invite you, during this month that we're uh, talking about relationships, Lord, I ask that there would be something significant that you would do in each one of the marriages that are represented here this morning. I ask you to bless each one as they go from this place. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week.